conversation prompts. When I hear conversation prompts, I think of something synthetic, something manufactured. I think I think of conversation prompts as different than conversation topics, right? We're going to talk about the Yankees because we like talking about the Yankees or whatever. That's different than like, let's, you know, the topic is, um, you know, let's talk about uh, Babe Ruth's slugging percentage, right? Or some whatever, whatever, something specific. That That's what I think of as a prompt. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something manufactured to be interesting. And do you find conversation prompts to be interesting? Mm, no. Conversations might be interesting, but... You know, in in the I think of conversation prompts um, like, do you remember the first time you ever recognized the structure of a late night talk show? I remember. I mean, probably best recognized it when I watched uh, the Larry Sanders show. Okay, which was a deconstruction. Fair, fair of, yeah, yeah, right. That 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 sort of like depends on it. I remember for a long time as a whatever a teenager watching some late night. I didn't watch it that much, but watch, seeing David Letterman or whatever the late night talk shows were. And not, oh, and then later either I forget reading an article or or I forget how I learned this information. The idea that the people on the panel, you know, prep the topics like mm. that's what like the they, host they, has they prepared. The top, they have prepared anecdotes that the yeah. you know sometimes it's more loose than others, but the, the host tosses these alley oops out there. Yeah. It's like, so I hear you were on vacation exactly. recently. Yeah. It's that kind of thing, and that like those are those are conversation prompts because yeah. it's like. You know, it's almost like he's pressing the play button on the anecdote. And so for some guests, it's very stiff and very formulaic, whether they're nervous or they're just not, whatever, for whatever reason. And then, so, but the better guests are the ones where either it's a little like legitimately off script. And so it, so you can tell the host is having fun or it's, um, or it's, uh, they can fake it. Like they can deliver, they can deliver the prepared anecdote in a naturalistic way. Yeah, that that's true skill. That's true that's, talent. Exactly. Yeah, that's that that's a on both. I mean, so it's it's really hard to be a good host that can. Yeah, you have can, to keep talking. You have to keep talking, and you have to be interesting and witty and and, and, and likable. You have to pretend to like that person. I mean, you're you're interviewing right. hundreds of people a year. Yeah, that's right. You you legitimately some of these people like are monsters. Of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can tolerate half, and then the rest are just like, oh, okay, I guess we're gonna have this person on. Although I would imagine that the more clout you have the more you can decide who to have on right like, yeah i would imagine conan o'brien can choose who he has on a show perhaps but there's also probably some uh there's some people that he definitely wants on that are good and then those agents uh for those people uh also have people oh, that, that maybe, right okay yeah, so, so that, you have to they, negotiate a little bit yeah. i guess that's true. even even the top you know people at the top of their game right. one of the one of the reasons other people have said this one of the reasons i like podcasts and podcast interviews in general just is just that the length of the conversation is longer because a three minute conversation is so um, artificial because yeah. it's at best the best case scenario is you have a really interesting guest who has a lot of interesting things to say they go off they go off script the host is into it and then at the moment when everything's sort of warmed up you got to a commercial the best case scenario is that you're interrupted right but it, and it's it's such a you know it, sometimes when I watch. I actually do watch a couple late night shows right now, like, really? and I, but not never live. I don't think, other than YouTube clips, I don't think I've watched a late night episode, an episode of a late night show, in, I don't know since we had a TiVo. Really? So, yeah, and that's interesting. So, uh, I guess I should <laughs> just come out right. I mean, I don't watch several. I only watch one. I watch uh, Colbert. Sure. Uh, and I watch it on like the. CBS streaming app or whatever it is, so we watch it like they day. have the the episodes. Yeah, and uh-huh. they, so I watch it usually like the morning after, okay, uh, or a couple days later. I don't watch it every day. I watch it, you know, yeah, go th- go through uh, uh, fits and starts. Anyways, 
Uh, and I rarely go through to the interview. Hmm. I, 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 and I usually skip around like because there's some good quality content. You want the monologue. I want uh, the monologue-ish I and then the some monologue. other bits. Right. I used to be less interested in the monologue. And, I would... and Colbert is actually a really good interviewer mm-hmm. when he's passionate about the topic. When he care- okay. And when the person is interesting. Not hmm. necessarily funny, but interesting. Okay. So when he gets into really rich, robust, nuanced conversations with like, uh, uh, talking about faith or outer mm. space or, uh, you know, his, his some of his classic interviews uh, of his new show have been with, like, Biden talking about grief and loss. Hmm, okay. Uh, and talk, uh, he had one recently with Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, where he's talking about faith, uh, which was really fascinating. Hmm. And, um, but generally when he's just kind of yucking it up with, uh, you know, fill-in-the-blank celebrity. Just, it's, right, just the actress of the month. Yeah, and, you know, he, he's, he does a good job at it in a way, but it's, it's, it's painful in, hmm. in another way because it's like, oh, this could be a much more interesting conversation, but not in this medium, not in this form. Like, so I, it's almost like the, the person themselves, the, the actress who comes in because they're talking about a movie they're in, might might be interesting. Might be interesting. It's just that in this three minute format, it's not. It's, it's not, not that bad. And, and I'm saying it's. And I'm sure. I mean, his show is fine. I'm sure it's right. doing well. But like, uh, I, I'd rather, I'd rather watch the Colbert show, the late show with Stephen Colbert, and watch like the really really well written like bits and monologues and other bits he does. That he has a really great you know writing team. And then I'd rather switch to a podcast and have him interview people. <laughs> with each of the guests. Yeah. Right. So like Not each of the guests, like you know, maybe with a third of the guests at, okay. at best, right? You know, and, that, and then I'd just rather listen to that podcast. Right. Because interview, in, interviews benefit from more length than – it's almost like Late Night is a live-action clip show. It's the, yeah. it's the, it's the uh, abbreviated abstract version of um, an actual conversation. You know what I've uh, I've actually have had this idea for a while now um, because I still do like live TV when mm-hmm. it's done well and when it's done right. So I really <laughs> I really like the Olympics. Okay. Uh, because I, I I like the uh, uh, like Bob Costas when mm-hmm. he would, would anchor the Olympics and he'd have a really cool set and there'd be really great music and and um, graphics and hmm. the helicopter shots of the city that they're in right. and, the, uh, and the Olympic music coming on and the you know the you know, the rings in the you know animated rings coming forth and everything and he would be at a really cool in a really cool interesting set in a studio um, but you know in that place and you know he's in that place and they make it look like you know whatever he, he really is in the city right and they uh, but then he cuts to all the different shows mm-hmm. and he comes back to all, all the different events and the I don't events. really care that much about the events to be quite honest. <laughs> you, you just like the interstitials with Bob Costas? Kind of. Not, not, <laughs> pop, not, not Bob Costas. It's not like I'm a Bob Costas super fan although he's a very talented person at what he does. Yeah. Um, but just and whoever pl- fills that anchor because he didn't do it this last Olympics like he I think it, you're looking at me like I would know. I know. I don't know. Like I, <laughs> I mean I, I, sure. <laughs> I, I think he I think he didn't. I think I once that's just remind just him specifically I was once watching I think it was the British Open. It was a. It was a. This was years ago, maybe ten years ago, um, and they had a lot. I was just interested in. It was one of the last ones that Tiger Woods was in, where he was in the final, and it had gone to an extra day. And so it was this very this this like sudden death between Tiger and whoever the other guy was, and he had, he had like uh, broken his foot, and it was it was one of these really interesting. It's like sort of um, uh, uh, you know nail biter of a as far as golf tournaments can go and i was watching it at work in the corner on the live stream via cbs.com or whatever the website was and there must have been a difference between what was being sent to the the online stream 
and what was being sent to the to TV because it was mostly the same. The commercials would either black out or go to some like web ad versus, mm-hmm. but right. you know. But anyway, at one point, this happened two or three times, and then it stopped. So maybe it was just a temporary glitch before someone fixed it. Um, it would come back from the web ad early, hmm. and so what you had so for about fifteen seconds, which which is kind of a long time when you're watching this happen. You got you watched the before they come back from air Bob Costas. And so like he was like prepping his new lines like during the commercial break. And oh, he was like running lines with like produ- the producer. So you saw him and he said something like, um, you know, and on this next green, Tiger's really gonna be focused on the something and then he like flubs a line, he's like, no, let's let's do it differently. And you can see him like editing in real time. Yeah. And it was really interesting to see a professional like just go through the mechanics of how he does his job. And then and then like and then it was like you he, you see he, you see him see something in his earpiece and he pauses for a second and they come back and then he's Bob Costas you're used to seeing on, on the screen. He's like puts on the face, right? But you got to see like a few seconds of what it's like behind the scenes. And yeah. it was really interesting. It was, you know, because of course there's stuff behind the scenes. It's just all you ever see is the onstage character that is Bob Costas. So th- that, that's really interesting though. Like the, but first of all, Bob Costas, if you were watching a live broadcast of uh, Bob Costas, it was N- NBC. It was not oh, CBS. Of uh, course. Yeah. Of course. How, how silly of me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, NBC.com. Yeah. Uh, and I, but the, the, what I think, cause there's all this talk of, you know, in the, in the era of YouTube and clips and Twitter and all this kind of stuff, what does live TV yeah. even mean? And what does it even mean? What is, what's the deal? Um, and I would, but, but the thing that still does help the, you know, classic, uh, cable networks and, and, and broadcast networks are live events like sports and news coverage yes. and, you know, breaking news mm-hmm. and, uh, political debates and that kind of stuff, um, where people still want to go watch at the same time as everybody else this mm, event mm-hmm. so i and it's probably too late to do this now but i uh i remember having an idea a couple of years ago saying there should be like a bob costas type actually it was a time when jay leno when the whole as many years ago at this point when jay leno uh they moved him to 10 p.m right do you remember that yeah when they kind of gave the tonight show to conan but kept jay around to, <laughs> at, at 10 to suck all the air out of yeah. it for an hour before the show which is really yeah. weird it's a really weird way to kneecap your new host you, so this idea, this idea of the TV, uh, it was about the time that Jay Leno took over the 10 p.m. Uh, Tonight Show, I was like, oh wait, Jay Leno uh, is actually would be a good person for this. Bob Costas would be a good person, not just because they're people two, who are skilled hosts. Yeah, skilled hosts, and I don't just mean because they're white men. It could be, you know, not, I don't want <laughs> to get into helps. That, but, uh, <laughs> Jesus, no. How do they look in a suit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, uh, I, I thought Jay Leno should have hosted like NBC primetime lineup, hmm. and it'd be. Um, he'd come to you live and okay. he's like, we're about to watch an episode of Friends. Okay. And then, and then in between shows, you know how they usually, when they, you would have like must-see TV on Thursday nights yeah. or that kind of thing, where they'd have like that, the voice, the NBC announcer would be, coming up next mm-hmm. is a new episode of... Okay, so it's a live, it's a live wrapping around the sitcoms around yes. the tape shows around around the sitcoms and the dramas and, and you, could, you could have like a in-studio panel like they do this with like after they do walking like, dead they after do walking, walking yeah talking dead right. or breaking bad they did talking I, bad I, I, I watched the breaking bad one okay. uh, the, the show after breaking bad but occasionally you're it's kind of like a live version and actually of that. watched after the throne they would have a, a show after game of thrones mm-hmm. on some other network um and i like those right but so it's but th- those work for very niche, you know, or, yeah. or, or rabid fan base kind of shows. I, I think it's a cousin of that. It's not the. Uh, it's not that same thing, right. right? And it's not. And but maybe you would have, um, so maybe you'd have one of the actors from that show, talking about. Oh, interesting. Okay, like, right. So so on you have one of the 
That's what. Yeah. That's so imagine, imagine it was Thursday. Maybe it's not every night of the week. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just it's, for it's your just Thursday, Thursday night Thursday night comedy lineup, mm-hmm. right? And so you you have, you know, Jay Leno saying, you know, it's uh, Welcome America. It's eight p.m. Or, I mean, whatever. They figure out the timing, but mm-hmm. and uh, so glad you're with us. He's in front of a live studio audience. Maybe he does two minutes of jokes or monologue sure, or what have you. Right. Okay. And then um, and then right, now now uh, it's time for friends. Right. And then like that was great and now it's time for will and grace so it's just he would have one spot between each of the shows or yeah. would it be like at the commercial breaks it'd be more in between the shows okay. i don't think it'd be at the commercial breaks okay. necessarily uh because i think that might get distracting hmm. in a way yeah. okay. uh, in a way that people are conditioned and to commercials maybe, and then maybe he has a 30 minute seg- episode with panel or whatever talking about it after the shows like at the end yeah it's like and it's like the pre-late night you know, but or then it just feeds into a late night, like and and maybe the late night doesn't need to be an hour long show, hmm. or maybe there's somebody else who is then the like. Right. That's why Jay Leno's might. I, I was imagining I was Jay say, Leno. Jay Leno's not the right one. Well, no, but Jay Leno would have been the right one back then. Back then, and then handed off to Conan to do an hour. Well, of, let's ignore the Conan Jay dynamic. Yeah, you're right. It, that's probably more, the wrong. It's more like let's say it's Bob Costas. Okay, it's, okay, it's Bob fine. Costas hosting, like. And live, maybe maybe it's live. I think there might be a live studio. No, I, yeah, right. a studio I think the live part is, is is what's fun about it because these things haven't aired yet. Yeah, they're watching them as they air, and it's there is something fun about uh, an audience. You know, like yeah. the Today Show learned that Good Morning America. I think they still do that out in Times Square. Right. Um, and there's something about that energy. And if you mm-hmm. had the energy, like I loved in high school, um, <laughs> TRL. Oh yeah. Uh, with Carson Daly. Yeah. And, and on, on Broadway. On Broadway, I, I remember. I remember the first time I was in Times Square and I saw the fifteen fifteen Broadway. Like I saw, yeah, the, yeah, because it's just a recognizable building. I was like, oh, that's the real place. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, that was a phenomenon. They'd have the people in the audience in studio with the VJs and then the guests, and then they'd some they'd have the the celebrities go out and like wave to the crowds right. down below. Yeah, and I remember thinking that was the center of the universe. Yeah, it, in it, high school, they successfully made that appear like the center of the universe on TV. Yes, yeah, I was like, oh, this is, and I couldn't believe here I am in you know the suburbs uh, outside of DC or I uh, was in high school, and thinking that Times Square in New York City outside mm-hmm. of the TRL studios is like the epicenter the most, of everything it's yeah, the most the, important the, stuff the is happening right there pop cultural activity is happening but then when the news came on with like kurt loader when he would uh, do the news from there too it was like oh my gosh this is now the grown-up is talking about the news and this is serious if right. kurt loader 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 kurt, yeah if, if kurt, kurt it's a hard name to say now <laughs> kurt and then loader you have to do the er mm-hmm. and the oh I, I, kurt, I hear the name can, can we can you can, i want you to say it kurt loader say it three times kurt loader kurt loader kurt loader okay so you have kurt loader <laughs> Next topic. <laughs> Design thinking. Oh boy. <laughs> just, just going for the soft spots. <laughs> and I should just note I should just note to our uh to our to our listener or two uh that right now today you are wearing uh mm-hmm. jeans and a uh a mm-hmm. black black uh, crew neck a black crew neck t-shirt. long sleeve t shirt. Yep. Yeah. Uh with I think you have a is that an undershirt too? So you have a black this is undershirt. a charcoal gray undershirt. Okay. It looks black. I only wear non-black or charcoal gray undershirts with this shirt when I'm at home uh, wearing this ensemble. Uh, I might go for something colorful, but never at the office. Come on. Okay. But I, don't, you, you, I, I don't even want to see a, a ring of light blue around my neck uh, peeking out from behind this black t-shirt. Is that a t-shirt? Yeah. But it's not a turtleneck. No. But it's a long sleeve t-shirt. It's a long sleeve t-shirt. So what do we call that? It's a, a crew neck t-shirt. long sleeve t-shirt. That's right. Okay. So... But you're dressed in all black right now. No, I'm, dress- I'm wearing one article of black. 
uh, are those black socks or not? Charcoal gray. Are we quibbling? Is that a quibble? Those are two different colors. I mean, sure. 100%. If you were going to be wearing all black, if one were to be said to be wearing all black, yeah. and they were wearing those socks, could you? would you give them a pass? If everything else were black, like yeah. actual black? Yeah, I think okay. so. Okay. Um, there's, but those are, that's two different distinctions there. Okay. Because if the center of gravity of your wardrobe is, is black, this is close enough to the event horizon to get sucked in. But it alone cannot establish a blackness. It can merely coexist. So design thinking. <laughs> so of all the uh, phrases you could have thrown out that um, make me roll my eyes, <laughs> I remember reading some article about design thinking, or I remember reading about somebody um, telling the story of, of, of teaching design thinking. And they had some, some group of, of non-designers, and they were teaching design thinking. And about halfway through... One of the participants goes, oh, it's just thinking. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's just a structured way of thinking with, with some, some seriousness about whatever you're doing. Um, so as much as I appreciate design tools being, being more valued than they used to, d- design and designers being more valued than they used to, um, <laughs> in my experience, it's, it's one of these terms like wordsmithing or like um, even brainstorming or um, ideating. These are very big words for something that I think of as a pretty day-to-day human activity. Mm. I'm not saying everyone's great at these things, but I'm saying this idea of like sit down and try to come up with something is, is something that almost everybody has some experience with. In school, growing up, at home it's like so what are we gonna you know what are we gonna have for dinner like that's ideation it's just you know it's like it's um a a sort of quotidian version of it it's just so when you talk about design thinking to me it feels like um a consultant term Mm. a term where we're gonna put enough packaging and labeling on this thing so that we can charge more for it so that's gonna we're gonna create this kind of like shamanistic packaging around something to make it more mysterious and less accessible. And one of the reasons I think I object to that concept is that I prefer to make things more accessible, to demystify things. One of my favorite things is to take uh, some area that I might have some expertise in, and maybe you're you're helping somebody or you're, or you're you're. Um, teaching some something and to demystify it and to see that moment where they're like oh it's just thinking like that's my favorite thing is because it's like yeah it's not that big of a deal and i guess part of the reason is i have so much empathy for this like fear of the unknown it's just like you know it's it's something that it, every human experiences this fear of like whatever's out there that i don't understand but everyone thinks it's important and like the more you can help someone connect with something where it's like no you can do this too like we're all good and bad at different things like you can participate in design thinking um I like that. And so I sort of object to the people who keep it mysterious to their own gain. So you believe in democratizing design thinking? Oh, yeah, a little bit. You, could, mean, you, you could, could create a you lucrative could, uh, consulting business around that. <laughs> democratizing design thinking. <laughs> I'm the only one who's able to democratize <laughs> design thinking. Uh, you have to hire my, me and my expensive consulting firm. Um, the other thing that I, the other sort of like core value that I hold is this idea of. Um, I wish I had a better name for this, like capability or this idea of like being game to try something um, just because everything in the world's made by other humans and they're, you know, many of them are no smarter or better than you are. And huh, so for people to... That sounds like an idea that I've heard before. F- yeah. Uh, Steve Jobs has a famous quote about that. And so 
this idea that um, you should try, like, even if you're not great at it, like, you should just try to do something. Um, and it's okay if you're, it's okay to not be great at something, but you, you're pro- you might be better than you think. Um, whereas I feel like in, in the modern age, so many things are sort of packaged to make it easy on the consumer that we're unfamiliar with the, the middle ground of like uncertainty around like trying something new, trying something you, you don't know. And so when it comes to something like design thinking, it's like, yeah, just like give it a shot. Like, let's just try to put something together here. We might, we might find something interesting. And so how, why, why are you so frustrated by the term? Why am I frustrated with the term? It re- my reaction to that is very similar to my reaction to the, to the phrase wordsmithing. Um, in and of itself, the, the actual ide- the idea behind it is fine. There's nothing objectionable about the idea. It's the label. Mm. It's the, it's the uh, vocabulary that I'm objecting to. It's th- and, and it has something to do with um, putting on airs. It's um, wanting to be taken seriously while wearing a silly costume. Hmm. That's what I'm objecting like to. Like maybe dressing in an all-black costume? Uh, I don't find that silly. It's more like the military outfit um, of like the kind of Banana Republic general who's like, he's like the, he's <laughs> like the All these medals. Nephew, and, yeah, and he's yeah. got a lot of medals. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, you know, it's like all you, <laughs> all you are is related to the authoritarian dictator here. And he's like, no, but I, I insist on being called general. And it's right. like, sure. Sure. Uh, sure, general. Yes, yeah, you got it, general. Um, so... <laughs> Do you think that why has it become so pervasive? When you say so pervasive, where it how do you know it's pervasive? That's a good question. Um, or what makes you say that it's pervasive? It seems like if you did a Google Trends word analysis oh, totally. yes. of it, you would see, You'd see it you know, nothing, and then for a long time, and then a spike in what what year would you say like? 2004 or 2011. Oh, I think it'd be later than that. Or yeah, like <laughs> That's, you just had a t- seven-year jump. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say it, it was sort of like post-financial crisis. Um, you know, sort of design at the same time that Apple had its had, like the, the 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 incredible success of the iPhone generated this in this wake of of design of interest in design i would actually even say the ipod before that yeah but the iphone was orders of magnitude bigger sure it was the iphone was sort of like the uh john the baptist to the true messiah that was the iphone and in its wake every company wanted a piece of what apple had and it was like oh maybe design is the answer and of course that been you know that's that's sort of half true in other words people had been undervaluing design for a long time and and now a lot of that has has in a, in a positive way like the what people consider table stakes around design uh is much higher than it used to be and that's good that's good for designers it's good for companies it's good for consumers um but it's it's stopped being it reminds me a little bit of moneyball you, you read moneyball yeah. um the concept being there are certain statistics that you can uh look at to find the diamonds in the rough to find the undervalued baseball players so a guy uh like billy bean who manages a small budget team can use these things to to punch above his weight basically because you know the yankees and the red sox have a ton of money compared to the oakland uh, a's and so the problem with that is that when the red sox discover that (laughs) they they can take the exact same techniques and pour money into it and that's how they've been successful and, and and won several world series since then um Yes, Apple valued design higher than others, and that was a competitive edge for a while. Now it's gotten to the point where it's not a 
it's not low-hanging fruit to make the metaphor it's not a the, the design design thinking is not a low-hanging fruit it's a medium hanging fruit um it's become much more like other things where you if you do it well it is 100 percent an advantage but it's not easy to do it well in the same way that it used to just be like if you just show up you know with your pants zipped you're you're you're, you're the mayor <laughs> and and what how does this relate to human-centered design mm, that i don't know a canonical definition for that that just seems like three words put together yeah like it's, it's good yeah but, yeah. but what, you invented this term no oh okay it's a term i've seen and heard about and in been a part of talks. <laughs> yeah uh, uh i mean what would the other what other kind of design would there be like if it's not human-centered it's uh uh well no it, it'd, be, it'd be me no or it'd be uh process-centered or right. efficiency-centered design yeah. or something you know the things that don't take into account how actual uh, human beings at yeah. the end of this chain uh, would interact with this product or process or service. Or I think uh, this idea of like, you know, user-centric, human-centric design gets more airtime than it actually gets playtime. Even in well-meaning organizations, um, it's much easier to talk about that than to do it. To do it is actually kind of tricky because humans are weird and organizations and companies much prefer tidier systems, much prefer like... Um, simpler rules and heuristics whereas like if you look at the way real humans interact with applications there's lots of weird feedback loops assumptions um you know things like um if they're used to doing it a certain way but the way they're doing it is bad and inefficient what do you do hmm. so what is the human-centric way of designing that do, do you um, take advantage of what they're used to and like keep things that are familiar do you break those assumptions knowing that if you can push them up over through the through the the suffering of learning a new system it's going to be better on the other side um, do you try some hybrid thing like there's not an easy answer there and it totally depends on other factors like like more details about your users and and your industry and your company and what you're trying to accomplish and it's a it's a it's one of these like actually hard problems there's no sh there's no secret shorthand where it's like if you use helvetica that's the answer hmm. it's more like um it's just a hard problem that takes a complex solution if, if someone came to you and said eric we're gonna pay you a ton of money mm -hmm. to write the i'll take it <laughs> to write the uh idiot's guide uh -huh. to design thinking yeah. or the dummies yeah, yeah. guide what are the one's what, called what the, would it be yeah or what, would like, you would you would you take that yeah, would yeah. you write that book yeah for sure I don't think I don't think anything wrong with that. The, my objection to the term is not my objection to the concept. So, I could write a book and basically just like sort of grimace at the title and get paid a lot of money and still consider it a net good for society. So you would? Is there? I mean, we should probably. I mean, we don't have almost to, certainly. There's got to be an idiot's guide. To we have it. a library full of them. That's <laughs> true. Next topic. Fax machines. Fax machines. Um. We were watching Sleepless in Seattle uh, over the over the break, and there's a scene where Meg Ryan is searching for the Tom Hanks character, right? And she and as part of her search, she's a journalist. As part of her search, she's, she she um, uh, wants to get a private detective to do a background check on this guy, um, on it on just she knows his name and his back. She know you know, and she sends a fax via her computer. So like a fax cover page screen comes up and it's like so it's not a it's not a paper fax cover page it's a it's just a uh, you know early 90s interface um where you type in the message and she types in a message you know background check needed for blah 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 um and my six-year-old says what is that and 
my wife and I had to dig through like three layers of prerequisites to get him to understand like, well, it's a fax, but it's on a computer. And she's like, what's a fax machine? I'm like, okay, so it's like you can send a piece of paper and he's like, like texting? I'm like, no. <laughs> um, and it's, so I, 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 I find fax machines, um, obviously they're kind of a punchline now when it comes to uh, technology that people are like astonished is still in place. On the other hand, it's such a, um, it's such kind of a clever technology mm. because it's not complicated, right? It's like even the, the simplest version is you have some rudimentary scanner that, you know, you could just have a black and white, you know, no shades of gray. It's basically just like turn it into on or off and it's a grid and you send that over the line and they reconstruct the grid of puzzle pieces. At, you know, it's like just literally like a white or a black pixel row after row. And then you have a document and you've sent it over the telephone. Like that's amazing. Um, and I, I can see why it got integrated into so many ways that business was done before mm. we had like proper, you know, networks, uh, internet. So remember in Back to the Future, I forget which one. Mm-hmm. I think, it, but it's the one that's taking place. Is it the second it, one, maybe the second one, where they go, they go to the future. They right? go to the future. Yeah, and and the older Michael J. Fox character, uh, the grown-up version of the Michael J. Fox character now, uh, in uh, is, 2015. Yeah, the year 2015. Yeah, way in the future. Didn't we watch that movie by the way? Yeah, on the night. On the night of it. Yeah, yeah. that was. I remember in high school thinking to myself, someday I'm going to live to the year 2015. <laughs> and on that day, I want to watch Back to the Future. But we watched the first one. No, we watched the second one. Did we? I yes. Are you sure? A hundred percent sure. Okay. So he gets fired from his boss. That's right. And via fax machine. Via fax machine. But then fax machine all over the house. They had like there's fax machines all like in closet. So the, so the nineteen eighty whatever idea of the future was. No, we don't just have one fax machine. There's fax, <laughs> machines, a dozen like, fax in, machines. Yeah, in the closet. Yeah. In this so that. And that, so he's embarrassed by this, and now, like, everybody in the family now knows oh, that he got fired. It, because that's how it would work. Because that's how it would work. You'd right. get fired, and it says, you're fired yeah. on every available fax machine. Okay. Uh, because they were clever enough to, like, think that there was going to be hoverboards in the future. Right. But not clever enough to think that so do you maybe think there's a better way. A honest, within, you know, within the context of this being a movie, like, it was actually meant to be a projection of the future, or was it, like, a joke of people's predictions of the future i think it's a joke of people's predictions okay. of the future because they also were making this for a mass audience the the, the 1988 audience or whatever it, uh, year is that they would relate to it so it'd have to be well, there's a difference though between like let's create something that is a relatable version of what we think the future will actually be like or let's make something that's a goof on no one would really think you're going to have 12 fax machines, but that'd be kind of a funny bit. I think it's both. It's somewhere in, it's, it's, okay. it's both of those. Meaning they have, they feel no allegiance to it being a realistic uh, depiction of the future. They just want the audience to find it interesting. Right. I mean, but take Minority Report, the Tom Cruise uh, movie with uh, directed by Spielberg. Uh, it was about the future as well, but they really worked with futurists yeah. at the time. Yeah. And they, and they got so many things right. They got so many things right, but they were really interested and they in tried to get it right. get, you know, playing out right. the implications of technology as it was today and what it was going to be in the future. And, yeah. and it was really fascinating how they did it, where I think that was trying to be uh, faithful to a true futurist vision as yes. opposed to think other movies I about the future. Yeah. yeah. So fax machines are still with us. And uh, I, I had to fill out... Uh, medical insurance reimbursement forms mm-hmm. and you have to send them in via fax. <laughs> I'm like, what kind of madness is this? And, and we have very good health insurance. Sure. And I'm like, what is this? Why right. am I using a fax machine right now? 
what year? And filling in block all block letters on a, on in, a form. On a form. Yeah. This is information that can can and should be uh, filled out, sent, and checked electronically, uh, but it's not. Yeah. So if we were to fast forward some, you know, not 10 years, but like 15, 20, 30 years, uh, how many vestiges from the analog era do you think we'll still have? And I, what I mean by that is things like filling in forms, you know, manually when, you know, your name and date of birth and address and phone numbers and things like that. How many times do you think you've filled that out in your life? This oh. is information that, that rarely changes. Yeah. And by rarely, I mean like not more than once a year. Like that's yeah, relatively rare. And yet, I don't know, hundreds of times? Yeah. Thousands of times? Every time you go to the doctor's office. Right. Or any, yeah. Every, you know, you, you've done this dozens of times per year since you were 12 or something like that. You know, um, yeah, 12. Well, so uh, going for, to the future too, like how, how much will we be using keyboards? And typing. Well, I'm I've I've been surprised at the um, persistence of the QWERTY keyboard. You know, it exists now on our phones, and people are developing you know thumb typing skills that are relatively uh, strong on a same keyboard layout that was for the original typewriters. And yet, so I think keyboards will persist. Okay. What's your first memory of a fax machine? Relatively late. Like I don't remember them. We didn't have them at home. I don't feel like my dad's, my dad was a, is, and was a, an engineer. He worked for the university. And so he would have in his office, he had a computer. He had a big drafting table, which was because he was, he was like, he learned drafting before CAD, but then he did CAD, uh, like, you know, computer aided drafting in his, in his work. So he had to kind of both. He liked, mm. he likes the old mechanical drafting. Um, and he had, like, he's, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's not a, uh, technof technophobe or, or really a technophile. Um, but he didn't have a fax machine. Like the fax machine, I'm trying to think like the first time I ever saw one. It might have been in, you know, um, my grandfather's office or something like that, where it was like, it was like a relatively foreign place such that I didn't really know what they were until, I don't know, teenage years, something like that. Huh. How, how about you? So my dad had a fax machine at home. And like, I think he still, he might still have it. For? For work. And, for, okay. And he... Uh, and it would be fascinating because you'd hear it down in, in his in the basement in the in his office, like the, the like the the scratching noise, the scratching noise that the fax was coming in, and mm -hmm. like it just it was fascinating to yeah. print off these things, and it was just. Did you ever pick up the phone when a fax yes. was coming? Yeah, and it's like, oh, hang up. No, it's yeah, yeah. Is it, I've we, done that when um, obviously we didn't have a fax machine at home, but I remember occasionally somebody would call our number, wrong number, uh, but it'd be a fax, and so you pick it up, you're like, hello, and you just hear. <laughs> on the other side as the as the fax is coming in oh, that's funny. it's like oh okay well um and i remember one of when i interned in college uh or um, in worked in college and had you know early office jobs and actually even in high school and i had I had an office job in high school at one point and uh i would have to send faxes sometimes mm -hmm. and the fax cover letter was such a big deal yeah and really getting was. that right and yeah getting and i remember being so worried that do I put the number of pages, including the cover page, mm -hmm. or not? And like getting it the formatting right and making sure it all went through. And you'd have to get a confirmation. You had to make sure yeah. did it really go through or not? That idea of a confirmation, I, I I still have anxiety around that. If it's any kind of serious form where it's yeah. like, did it did it go did it go through? Did it not go through? This I have is no this idea. Should, there's no yeah. There's no that those little words at the bottom of a 
text in iOS, like <laughs> right. delivered. Delivered. That's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next topic. Bike lanes. So when I was, um, let's say 13, uh, my mom was, uh, you know, she was running a lot, uh, like taking up running as a, as a, as a way, a method of exercise. And so she would like to go on these runs, uh, on this particular route on a, on a, on, um, term which street it was it doesn't matter in stillwater oklahoma and i would go on my bike with her and she'd be like hey go you know you ride your bike and i'll run with you and because it was like kind of like dark ish and i have this one very vivid memory it's dark we're on this particular path trying to get back to the house and we're gonna take this route and there is a bike lane it's a it's a two-lane road just a regular two-lane road in a suburban street but it's kind of a straight line and it's kind of a thorough like kind of a main road there's not a ton of traffic but like some traffic on a just a regular two lane you know cars one lane in each direction kind of road and there's a bike lane supposedly but it's really like the shoulder and it's basically the width of a bike and it's a paved road and there's a white line on one side and there's the ditch on the other side and so we're we're riding i think i'm ahead of her it doesn't matter anyway cars would come past and they probably not very close but they felt very close because they're mm. going by at 30 miles an hour. Um, and I remember for this probably mile long stretch along this road until we got to the next road and made a turn and I could ride on the sidewalk or whatever, uh, being terrified, mm. terrified just of like all that, all that went through my mind was one of these cars is going to run into my, um, handlebar, the outside, you know, the, mm. the, the left edge You're of my handlebar it, yeah. and clip it and I'm going to go sprawling and I'm going to die. Like that's all I was thinking in this white knuckled ride in, in the bike lane. Since then, I have discovered things like, um, conceal, like, uh, what do they call it? Um, bike lanes that are between the row of parked cars and then the road itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a term for that. It's like protected bike lanes or something like that. Yeah. And like, those are fantastic. But even now I am very cautious about riding amidst traffic that's something i'm very um um cautious about you don't ride a bike much in the city like, not do you really have, do you have a city bike i have a bike oh, oh city bike the pro- no yeah. i don't and you do have a bike i own a bike but i don't i don't ride it that much yeah um i think when the children get older we i might do it more um but right now we're, we're still in the like how do you get two small children wherever you're going it's it's unlikely to be a, a, a bike because we don't have like a big trailer we have like a we have a seat that can contain one child and my my wife rode around with with the older one before we had the second one but yeah we don't ride a lot of bikes so i uh there there's a uh report recently in the times about uh new york city traffic deaths mm. and that in 2018 had a record uh low uh, number of pedestrian deaths in the city, hmm. or tra- okay. traffic-related deaths. Um, so, it's including pedestrians, people in cars, and bicyclists, and it's something like 200, okay. which is the lowest in 100 years, or something crazy hmm. like that. Interesting. And, uh, but evidently, the bicycle deaths had increased slightly. Uh, but it's it's still is really it per capita or just total? Just total. They're just hmm. doing numbers in, in so 200 across New York City, um, which is amazing when you're talking about like eight or oh, nine yeah. million people um, and all the people that tourists and visitors and yeah. everything else. Uh, but, and probably think about, about 20 or 30, uh, cyclist deaths. But th- to me, when you see 
the, uh, around New York and um, in other places as well, when a cyclist has died, uh, sometimes people put up memorials, and sometimes right. the memorials are uh, all white the bikes, ghost bikes yeah. the ghost bikes, that, and then people put some flowers, and and it's it's just very evocative, right? Mm. Uh, especially when you're on a bike, oh, yeah. uh, and you pass by one of those, um, and uh, it, it's amazing the strides that. The New York, especially, has made as a city, and yeah, and making more city, pedestrian friendly. Yeah, being in yeah. the whole like De Blasio has this whole Vision Zero campaign mm-hmm. that has been a, a big hallmark of his, um, and yet there still is, you know, you hear you hear pushback against bike lanes too, and against uh, being bike friendly. By by, this is almost like a redo of the Moses Jane Jacobs, you mm-hmm. know, uh, right. big fights of people like, oh no, the, we need more Ubers and we need more tr- cars to be able right. to get around easier and we need more parking and all that. So all these bike lanes are nonsense. And it's like, oh wait, but we're making such great progress. And yeah, but I, one thing I've noticed, uh, my wife went to the local, um, what would it have been, council meeting? I should know this, but I don't. But whatever, it was. there was a proposal for a particular um, stretch of, of street. It was like not very much in our neighborhood, two or three, um, two or three blocks of this street that does not get a lot of traffic, but it's it's a really wide street. Uh, And it's, you know, it's wide enough for like at least four cars, maybe five. It's a very wide street. And it otherwise had just, it was just, you know, parking on either side in a lane. And the proposal was, we're going to turn one of these sides into a protected bike lane. There's more than enough room for a protected bike lane, two, you know, a row of parking on either side and two rows of driving in between. Mm. And it was like, yeah, you're just going to reduce like the amount of space that a truck has to park periodically. This is a one lane street, by the way, one way street. Hmm. So from my point of view, that is a no brainer. Like, it's hard to imagine anybody being against this proposal because at the cost of almost nothing, you add a bike lane. Nevertheless, at this city council meeting, um, there were a bunch of vocal opponents. And I asked my wife, she went there just to vote because she, with a bunch of other people on some list board, was of like, show up for the vote because it's, a, it's like a popular vote. And, you know, there will be a, a, vote, a, a vote of the public to, to support this. And we think it'll be fine. But, like, everyone who, who's in favor of this should show up and cast their vote. So she went. And... Um, I said, what are the people opposed to this even saying? And she had trouble articulating it. And she said, it basically just boils down to like, they don't want anything to change. (laughs) Like it's fine the way it is. We don't need to make any changes. And I was like, yeah, that's human nature. Like a lot of people are just opposed to change. And so anything like this is, um, is going to be opposed. And the other reason I think is it's not so much that people are opposed to change, but people are opposed to things that they think are hallmarks of a group they're against. Hmm. So it's like the wrong color hat, hmm. right? So it's not that they're against bike lanes. It's just that bike lanes are for hippies, and I hate hippies. So therefore, I'm against bike lanes. They're not assessing whether or not bike lanes are good. They just know that they're associated with this thing that they have committed to hating. Or that bike lanes signify gentrification. Sure. That's another thing, right? Where it's like, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's is, a, it, is it metonymy or synecdoche? Whatever the, whatever the thing where it's like where you, when you say the White House, but you really mean uh, the, the, you know, executive branch, so to speak. It's like the thing that when you say the crown, but you really mean the monarchy. It's oh. like when you say bike lane, but it really means what like, it represents. It represents this bigger thing. It's a token. It's a token. Exactly. So I think people sometimes react to the, to the token that is the bike lane. Next topic.